All right, well, it's time now for the morning line here on KMA. Well, the current drought in Iowa continues to set records as this month we hit 189 weeks straight of abnormally dry or worse conditions throughout the state. And with us on the line this morning to break down the latest drought conditions and other weather patterns in the area is Iowa State climatologist Dr. Justin Glisson. Good morning to you, Justin. How are you today? Good morning, Ethan. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Thank you again for being here with us this morning to uh, kind of talk about some of the latest uh, drought conditions. Of course, that came out on uh, Thursday. So just to kind of start us off here, let's just kind of recap, obviously, kind of what the drought monitor showed us uh, from yesterday and the conditions we're seeing, seeing right now here in the state of Iowa. Yeah. So over the last seven to 10 days, we saw widespread precipitation, rainfall, along with uh, snow and wintry mix. So across most of the state, we, we saw at least a half an inch uh, some stations in uh, western Iowa, south central Iowa, picked up over two inches. So if you look at December precipitation climatology, uh, typically we expect about uh, a little over an inch for December. It's one of the driest months for the state. So we were anywhere from 400 to 600 percent of normal in terms of precipitation just over the last seven days that we used in the U.S. Drought Monitor, uh, which is released uh, on Thursday, backdated to Tuesday. So data cut off at 7 a.m. on Tuesday. Anything that falls after that is not reflected in the map. So with uh, soils being not frozen, we saw good infiltration. We had lots of, of gradual rainfall and, and snowpack that has uh, since mostly melted getting into the soil. Now, we, if you look at the drought map this week, not a lot of change. And this is reflective, as you mentioned, 189 weeks of at least D0 across somewhere uh, in the state, 82, 182 weeks of at least D1 moderate drought somewhere in the state. And again, the drought started back in June and July of 2020 in West Central Iowa and then just kind of expanded. So not a lot of improvement, but what we're doing is we're banking moisture for the next growing season. And also, wetter soils don't freeze as fast or as deep, which has implications as we get into winter thaw uh, and early spring thaw. Sure. And maybe, maybe just kind of dive in a little bit. You mentioned planting season, obviously. You know, with the current conditions we have, I guess, what are maybe, you know, some of, some of the concerns possibly as we move forward uh, into that planting season and why maybe a little more precipitation right now is greatly needed? Yep. So the tank is generally dry across the state, and there are portions where it's exceptionally dry in terms of these longer-term drought conditions that we've seen. And these are reflected in low stream flows and also uh, soil moisture profiles. You know, you go down 80 inches, several feet, uh, bone dry. So getting any moisture in the profile before we freeze up in winter, we can use that uh, in in the spring as we start to get planted. Uh, And then hopefully that can hold us on uh, and we get these timely rainfalls in the spring and summer that we expect. Planting in the drier soils will force the corn and bean roots a little further, a little deeper to access deeper moisture in those profiles, which if we do get into drier periods in spring and summer, there is some access to those deeper moisture profiles. But right now, anything that we can bank before we freeze up will be extremely beneficial going into the next growing season because you look across the state and these precipitation deficits that we've stacked up anywhere from 20 to 25 inches in the driest parts of western and southwestern Iowa over the last four years. Sure. You know, we mentioned, obviously, 189 weeks that we've seen at least some sort of, you know, abnormally dry or worse type of drought conditions across the state. Where does that kind of put uh, put the put this kind of put this current drought in terms of kind of historical uh, numbers in terms of long longest droughts that we've had here in the state? 
Yes, the longest drought that we've seen across the state in the U.S. drought monitor period of record, which goes back to 2000. You have to go back to 1954 to 1958 to find a longer drought than what we've been in right now. Uh, so, you know, looking at 1988, 2012, shorter term droughts, more pervasive in that they were coupled with warmer, uh, hot temperatures for longer periods of time. This year, 2023 looks like we'll be about two degrees above average, which in typical years, we're not, uh, you know, one degree plus or minus. So being two degrees above average does show you that we have had less precipitation. We've had more, we've had warmer days and a severe weather drought. We haven't seen a lot of severe weather across the state, but when we have seen it, they've been these, these bigger events. Uh, so overall, yes, the largest or longest extent of drought that we've seen across the state since the 50s. And what's been remarkable is that Iowa's been practically the bullseye for the worst drought conditions across the upper Midwest. We just can't seem to shake uh, the large-scale behavior. Splits in the jet stream, they're either too far north or south, and we missed out on those widespread rainfalls. This is partially tied into those three consecutive years of La Nina. Luckily, we've shifted into a strong, possibly historically strong El Nino for winter. And when we look at analog years going back into the 50s, our winters are typically warmer. Not as much snowfall, but it's, uh, we transition to more rainfall or more wintry mix like we've seen in the last week, uh, week and a half. Uh, so looking at those outlooks, there, there possibly is good news in terms of at least getting some moisture in the tank before freeze up. Sure. And, you know, and obviously the state also implemented its first ever drought plan uh, recently. And uh, maybe kind of tell us a little bit, you know, kind of how that maybe has been utilized when it comes to maybe some of the current conditions we've been seeing across the state. Yeah, excellent. Thanks for bringing that up. I was uh, proud to be on that team with uh, Department of Natural Resources, Homeland Security, and the Iowa Department of Agriculture and Land Stewardship, where I sit. Uh, so it was a 15-month endeavor. No, uh, no uh, funding for it. We did this you know, in our free time or when we had available time, put together an excellent document over 50 pages of basically a plan in which we can address drought concerns across various sectors, agriculture, hydrology. We have municipalities in southern Iowa, uh, Osceola, in fact, that have uh, uh, water supply issues. So the drought plan was written to address those types of concerns. And in fact, over the next few weeks, we're going to have a drought tabletop exercise at the state emergency operations centers with multiple state agencies to game out just what is happening in Osceola, but on a larger and widespread scale to see what our state and federal partners can do to, to mitigate the drought concerns when we do get into water supply issues, uh, but also talk to farmers and producers about what they're seeing out there on their farms and helping us get a better uh, drought recommendation to the U.S. Drought Monitor author each week because our federal and state programs that uh, provide uh, insurance benefits and, and relief to our farmers and producers rely on the U.S. Drought Monitor categories and the length of time that they've been in a specific location. So, yes, overall, the Iowa Drought Plan, we're going to take a second whack at a, a draft to address the issues that we have had in 2023 See if we can do a better job of messaging drought concerns, but also getting better feedback from our partners across the state and across the region. 
Certainly. You talked on it a little bit, obviously, but uh, just a couple weeks ago, we were seeing uh, pretty mild temperatures for this time of year. And now, as we're in the last few days of 2023, it looks like we're having a little bit more a little bit more average temperatures, you know, kind of in the mid-30s as we head into the new year. Kind of talk a little bit, you know, really what is kind of what's kind of causing some of those temperature jumps. And obviously, you mentioned El Nino and kind of what that could have in store here for the rest of this winter. Yeah, so a strong El Nino. We have very warm water in the eastern Pacific thunderstorms like warm ocean waters to work off of as fuel. So when those thunderstorms form, it impacts where the jet stream sets up over the United States. And what happens in typical winters of El Nino, especially moderate to strong El Ninos, as we're seeing, the polar jet is farther north. And we think of the polar jet as that boundary that everybody knows of called the polar vortex. And that polar vortex holds all that extremely cold Arctic air over the Arctic base. And when you get a wobble in that polar vortex, that's when you see these Arctic air outbreaks. Well, luckily, the polar jet has been very strong and very north of us, hence the warmer temperatures that we've seen uh, for uh, uh, fall into winter. And definitely, we had several stretches of days in which we were 15 to 20 degrees above average uh, for the daytime high and those overnight lows. As we get into winter, uh, we can we can see vast temperature swings even on a daily basis. Temperatures getting up into the 40s and 50s, but then getting back down into the 30s and 20s because of lower dew points. Uh, so yes, we can see those warmer temperatures tied in with that El Nino signal. Uh, and as we move forward, it's looking like you see the January outlooks and also the December, January, February meteorological winter outlooks. They are also showing a pretty good signal for warmer temperatures. Now, the caveat there is winter is the coldest season, so it doesn't take a lot to be above average. Uh, but those warmer temperatures could bode well in terms of how fast those, those soils freeze and how deep they freeze. And if we come out of winter with warmer temperatures in a shallow uh, frost depth, that just gives us more potential for infiltration of melting snowpack or of precipitation that we get as we move out of February and into March. I mentioned those analog years of strong El Ninos. The last three El Nino events were 2010, 2016, which, were, which was the monster El Nino event, historic El Nino, and then 2019. All three of those were wetter than average in winter. You look at 2019, third wettest winter on record, eighth snowiest winter on record. So if this El Nino acts as it should, we should see uh, warmer and wetter conditions getting into late winter and early spring. Certainly. Well, Justin, hey, we've run a little short of time here this morning, but thank you so much for being with us here as always. I uh, greatly appreciate it, and uh, uh, have a good rest of your day. Have a happy new year, and I'm sure we'll be catching up with you again down the line. Thanks, Ethan. Happy New Year to you and to your listeners. Well, again, that's Iowa State climatologist Dr. Justin Glisson on the morning line here on KMA.